All right, my friends, I am very excited about having today's guest on. Very special guest. She is the host of Good Talk with Good People and the host of Two Girls, One Book, the very hilarious, the hardworking Haley Hackett. Yeah, Haley. So. Oh my gosh, I adore the it, w- without being in front of people for so long, that was like doing heroin for the first time after going clean. Like, what? Oh my! <laughs> you know what's funny? So the my most recent guest on the podcast, my buddy Arturo, we were talking about this new Zoom mentality that you have to have as a comic, and this mentality is almost like I want to say a stage actor uh, mentality where you can't get too caught up in the reaction of the audience, because it's not really an audience. Some people are muted. Some people aren't even paying attention anymore. It's kind of weird. So um, yeah, it's, it's getting actual feedback is almost like uh, it's a thing of the past now with zoom, you know, (laughs) it's there to some extent, but not at the levels I think we were used to getting when we were actually in front of live audiences. Yeah. But I think, I think people are going to be better for it. Oh, 100%. Because like people make the same type of um, argument for those kind of seedy open mics, like in the back of bars where no one's paying attention to them. And they're like, I don't deserve this. I'm a big brand comedian. I should be getting all the laughs. And the reality is the best comedians go in places where people don't want to laugh at them and get them to laugh. And I always like make a reaction. Like we all know when like a super dope comedian comes on a Zoom mic and we're like, what? Like what's happening? Mm. And so we all want to elicit that thing. I don't know. I I think Zoom is going to make us stronger because we have to be more sharp, you know? I I think it's going to, so here's what I've been kind of a broken record on the thing. (laughs) I look at, I look at Zoom comedy the same way I look at running on a treadmill. Is it as good as running out on a trail? No, but at least you're saying, okay, I'm going to be disciplined about something. I'm going to show up and I'm going to do the work. And all of us are writing, right? Like you don't just go into a Zoom mic. I mean, sometimes I do. Sometimes I go into a Zoom mic and I just, ah, whatever. You try and riff on whatever's on your mind or whatever is going on in the room. But at the very minimum, we're all writing and showing up to the Zoom set and then trying to work on stuff. Um, I like what you said about the CD open mic because that that's actually who I am. I, I back in real comedy, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't looking to go to clubs or get into clubs or past clubs. Like I just really enjoy going to bars (laughs) and then hanging out with funny people and then getting on stage and trying to, you know, more or less I'm playing to the people that I do comedy with, which is zoom 100%. I'm not necessarily playing to a general audience. I'm playing to comics and to me, that's very challenging, but it's also fun. Um, so yeah, I, I like that mentality. Like, no, 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 you got to go in no matter where you are. What is your job as a stand-up comic? Well, your job is to make people laugh. So wherever you are, if you're on the clock and in the Zoom call, we're on the clock, just be funny, right? Okay. Um, so speaking of that, why don't you, so we know each other through Zoom. Yeah. And I appreciate your work ethic. I'm seeing you in all these rooms. Um, you're one of the comics who sticks around for the whole Zoom mic, which is another kudo. <laughs> you know, a lot of us don't stick around for the whole Zoom mic. It's like, they, okay, sorry, guys, got to go for whatever. Like, yeah, I know you got to go. We all could go. But anyway, 
So when did you get into comedy? Um, what was the first open mic or first uh, experience with comedy? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm one of those people, like, anytime someone says something, I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. I want to rip off of that, too. So, like, part yes. of me is like, hold, like I want to, if you're okay with it, can we talk about the staying in Zoom rooms? You know what? I'm trying to work on a joke with that. So please expand on that. In fact, you know what? I have, I know what I want to do. I'm going to next week. I I'm going to have a bit about you go on your part and then I'll share my part. You go first. Okay. We're just, we're, we're like orchestrating a, a piece of conversation right now. Yes. Yes, <laughs> um, we are. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say that I stay in zoom rooms and I don't know if you, so, okay. This actually kind of, uh, connects to what you initially asked. I started comedy um, about a year and a half ago on the nose. So I'm inching closer to the two year mark. And I started in the LA scene. I don't, what scene are you in? Actually, Bay area, San Jose, San Jose, Oakland, San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. I think that at some point, um, I got into a group of people in person during the pre pandemic, um, that always were like, I'm too good for this. Oh. <laughs> that was kind of their mentality. And I think as like a budding comic, I took that on and I noticed that happening in the zoom mics where, and I want to be very clear. I don't think I'm better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. Like realistically at my core, I don't, but I found myself doing things like that where I would be like, Oh, sorry guys, got to go to my next mic because my time is so much more important, you know? And I just realized like, that's not the type of person I want to be. Like, I do want to be supportive and like, it helps you as a comedian when pe when other comedians or people are there. So why would I want to be there for my peers? Yeah. So this is a new thing. Me trying to stay <laughs> is what I'm saying. Like I just started to be a better person again. Um, okay. But as far as like how I got into comedy, it's kind of a mixed tale. And I think it is for everybody, right? Um, I initially started thinking about it my senior year of college. And it was because I wanted to do something that scared me. I took this intercultural mm -hmm. communications class, whatever, right? And they said, be in a place alone that makes you uncomfortable. And I guess like for me, there was like not a lot that made me uncomfortable. Like I didn't mind it, traveling alone, being alone. So I went to a stand-up show, like an open mic show alone and just sat there. And it was bizarre, right? Because it was like the the seediest of CD. It was called Jai Tai in Seattle. Okay. Um, and it was like all these pedophile jokes and like just yeah. like bigoted people. And I don't know why. I was like, these are the misfits I want to be around. I, yeah. I have no clue. And I started going every week. And then I, and I just sitting there, you know what I mean? Never putting my name in the hat, never doing anything. And I remember telling a few of my friends that I, I want to do stand-up. And they're like, you can't do stand-up, Haley because you laugh at all your own jokes and it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of like arrested the idea. I was like, okay, you're right. Like I'm, I'm never going to do standup. Okay. Um, fast forward. I moved to LA. I became, um, I started dating a standup comic is, okay. is the truth of it. Okay. Uh, and he was like, you're hella funny. Cause I got drunk a lot. So he's like, you're hella funny. You should like go and do open mics. And I was yeah. like, Oh no. And he signed me up for Kill Tony and Potluck at the Comedy Store. Okay. Um, which I'm not sure if you're familiar, but yeah. it's all lottery based. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I got onto both. <laughs> what? 
And I bombed so badly at both, like so nauseatingly badly. And, and I had no clue where I was. Also, like I had no concept of what the comedy store was at that point or like how important these places were. So I just made like the biggest fool of myself to the point where like Tony Hentcliffe started to make fun of me. Yeah. <laughs> then he was like, wait, how long have you been doing this? And I was like, oh, it's my first day. And he was like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Back up a person who clearly doesn't know where she is. Yeah. There's something about it. I was like, you know what? I want to do this. Um, I didn't necessarily want to be good. I think I, because I, I didn't get a punchline out for, I think, six or seven months, like a real right. punchline, like a real joke. Yeah. And my goal for that time was to just bomb. So, yeah. like, I was a comedian that was just like, you know what? Like, I just want to be comfortable for a second on stage. And then I just want to, like, keep bombing. And that's the best I ever got at comedy is when I'm just trying to bomb. Yeah. You find something you wouldn't have found before. Um, but, yeah, that's that's how I got into it. And it's just, I mean, you know, you get your first laugh and you're like, oh, this is the highest high of the highs. Like, I can't oh, yeah, yeah. stop. It feels great. Yeah, I was probably, I would say I was three, anywhere from three to five months in before I actually felt a connection with an audience where yeah. when I was saying something and then they were responding and then I would follow up and say something else and then they would respond again. And I said, oh, it took three, it took probably five months for me to have this feeling. But yeah, it's great. But this is amazing, Haley, this is amazing. So you basically went, as far as open micers go, getting up on kill Tony or even on a potluck night. I mean, that's kind of like a lot of open micers work years before they get to that. Either they're drawn or they're there and they're able to have access to it. So that is really hilarious. You kind of, as far as open mic goes, you are at the premier open mic for your first two sets where I'm guessing you probably, did you even write anything down or did you just go, I'm just going to be funny. Like I'm funny around when I talk with people. No, because I don't think, I'm a funny person, right? Okay. I think I'm a very witty person, right? Okay. And I'm a very, like, I, I am a, a writer at heart. Okay. Um, so I wrote something down, and I mean, I have a theater background. I rehearsed it, okay. right? I rehearsed it. It was bad. <laughs> Despite all that effort, it was so bad, and I ran the light. I didn't know what they were doing. I like, I thought someone had a flashlight and was, like, heckling me. That's what I thought that was, and I was just, just go through. It will be fine. It wasn't fine. Someone had to come on stage and ask me to get off. And I didn't, I didn't understand any of it. It was so, oh, it was so embarrassing. Well, so embarrassing. I, we can laugh about it now, but to some extent, I kind of say shame on your boyfriend if he didn't at least explain the light. <laughs> I think he, he thought I knew. Um, because but you, did you know he put your name in the hat? Uh, Yes. Okay. It, it was weird because he said he would do it and yeah. I didn't think he would. Okay. And I prepared, but then like when my name got called, I was like, I, I was shitting bricks. I was like, yeah. not ready. Um, and then it, he was actually kind of a bad boyfriend because all I wanted to do for the hour before um, potluck and then like 15 minutes before kill Tony was to sit and rehearse. But he was just so concerned about his sets. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, 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 it's fine. Because I think he just knew I would bomb. His only piece of advice was to tell them I was new, right, um, yeah. for potluck. But you don't get that prep for Kill Tony. <laughs> right, right. Um, so it was, and I mean, 
whatever, right? Yeah. It happens. Um, but it, I don't know. I'm thankful it happened. I wouldn't be in comedy if it didn't happen. And I, yeah. I think I wouldn't be in comedy if I did well. I, I'm very good with adversity. Are you kind of like that? I think a lot of comedians are. Like when they have some type of adversity, when they're not doing well for a second, it's like, I, that's when we go. So generally in life, I would say I only like hard things. If you look at everything I've done from career to other hobbies, like I only do things that are frustratingly difficult, that there's no real path. There's no real road, you know, stand-up comedy. If you look at the people who've had success and the people who get audiences, they've done it in so many different ways. And I, you know, the same could be said of probably any artistic field. Right. So I, I shouldn't, make it out to be like, it's that different. Cause I'm sure people who paint or draw, like the way they find their, their path is very weird and probably no two paths are the same. But I do think with stand-up comedy, there are some general rules, but for the most part, it's just a very difficult thing. And that's why I keep coming back to it. And you had said something where you talked about how you you went up with the intent of bombing, but learning to, I was the word you said, relax or get comfortable. You just said, get comfortable or relax. And this is what I can say about all, all of my experience with different things is that if you could spend, when you first learn anything, whatever, learning to write, learning to read, if you could really first just focus on relaxing oh, whilst yeah. doing that thing, <laughs> You will be, it pays dividends down the road, right? So if someone starts stand-up comedy and they go, boy, I don't know how to write. I don't know stage presence. I don't really think fast on my feet. Then I, I would just say, well, get up there and try to be as relaxed as possible on the mic for five. You only get five minutes. I mean, five minutes when you're beginning feels like an eternity, but you know, in the your lifetime, that five minutes, just spend that time, just relax. Kind of like, take a moment. Are you breathing from your stomach? Are you breathing from your chest? Are you breathing in your throat? Like what's, I'm being a little too analytical, but I, I agree with you that um, I think the relaxing and then going up with zero expectations is the best any, any of us can do when we're starting. Um, now, I don't know when I started, if I knew I had the, um, if I knew that this was going to be as complex, I set out with kind of two questions when I started stand up, which was one was, can I be funny? And then two, and this is what I want to get into you, uh, the discussion with you. The second thing I had a question on was, can I make anything funny? Oh, that's interesting. Wait, I, okay. Let's backpedal for a hot second. Sure. For a profession, you work in like programming, right? I'm in tech. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's another like really hard thing. Do you think, because I love what you said about how if you relax when you start any skill, it's going to pay dividends. Because I do think that half of our retention rate goes away when we're focused on how we're doing, right? So when we're learning something or when we're trying, do you feel like that happened with tech as well? Like when you were learning that? Because that's, that's above me, right? Like that's like over my head. I can't even imagine going into tech. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say... I would say it's you're, with tech, it's all about learning languages and uh, fortunately languages have rules. So I would say tech of all the things I do, it's probably one of the easier things. Like there's definitely people have walked the path, yeah. books have been written. And I, I mean, where I live, I'm in San Jose. So I could just, I could throw a rock and probably hit 
15 different people who are better at some specific aspect of tech. And I could just go talk with them and hang out with them. So interesting. Um, stand-up comedy. I, uh, you know, I guess we're getting that because we're going into mics with more experienced comics and then we're kind of watching what they do and learn. But really this podcast has been the only way I've been able to talk with other comics and share notes. And then of course, just whatever I can read. If a comic has ever written a memoir or something like that, I'll read that to kind of get there their thing. But you know, it's one thing that has kept me coming back hmm. stand-up comedy is, and I haven't gotten this in the zoom world, but you know, there's that feeling, at least I get it when, okay, you've done, you, you've written your set list, you know, you're going up later and then your name gets called. And as you walk up, like right when you get on the stage, I get kind of this shot. I don't know if it's an adrenaline shot, but I get this feeling like, whoosh. okay. You know, it's kind of, we make it more important than it is, but it's a good feeling. And then you get up there and then whatever happens, happens. And then you get off. But that, uh, that feeling I get when I first step on and grab the mic, there's something happening there that that's, I think what's keeping me coming back. Yeah. Have you ever, um, have you ever read anything or seen Mel Robbins talk? No. She, so she talks about that phenomena. Um, okay. Her feeling is like fear. Um, yeah. the, the adrenaline rush, but she talks about how we choose how we define fear. So it's right. the same like neurological reaction in your brain. Um, but it's just how we rationalize it. So like, we can either say like, this is fear. This is, ex ex is excitement. Sorry. I right. need to like, gulp this coffee down so that I can be more like here. Uh, such a comic at fucking 10 AM. Like it's, everyone's awake and I'm like, listen, hold on. I'm still <laughs> out of bed. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool that you immediately categorize that as a good feeling because yeah. that is like half the battle, I think for new comics and like new performers is being able to say this adrenaline thing that's happening right now is a good thing. Like I'm going to use that. And I like it because so many people feel that and they go, ah, ah, ah that's terrifying. Oh. You know what it feels like for me? I don't know if it feels like this for you. It feels like having a crush. Like, you know, the butterflies you get when like your crush is around and that like nerves, like, Oh no, 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 no. It feels exactly the same to me. I remember I, it's been a while, but I definitely, uh, I do recall those in high school or whatever, mm -hmm. those, those kind of things. Yeah. I guess it's the same. You know what? It probably, it probably is adrenaline and it's from fear, but somehow you get addicted. You could get addicted to any of those sensations. Right. So that's yeah. probably what, what's uh, done it for me. So I wanted to talk, let's talk about one of my questions that I set out when I started doing stand-up comedy. Can I make anything funny? Another thing I really appreciate about what you're doing when I see you perform is you touch on a lot of subjects that um, could that probably obviously made you uncomfortable at some point in your life, but could make the crowd uncomfortable too. I like dark comedy. I like the macabre. Do you have any kind of boundaries when it comes to writing or doing your material where you go, you know what? I don't want to talk about that or this probably wouldn't play well. Or do you want to try and make every experience that you've ever had find a humorous spin on it? I, I think that's very 
Interesting. I will say I was super suspicious um, when you asked me on the podcast after I did a uh, a chloroform joke that went real bad because <laughs> um, that was a risk. <laughs> and it's like I was like, "Ooh, maybe I went too far." And Matthew was like, "Hey, do you want to come on my podcast?" <laughs> I was like, "What is gonna happen?" Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I do try to make all my experiences funny, just because okay. like that is the the fun of life. Yeah. Uh, also, I have a dark humor, right? Like I, you know, half my family is like Irish and it, it's yeah. just like, it's in the blood. And also like, dude, it, this is the story of so many comedians. I've lived a dark life. You right. know what I mean? Like, and so many of my experiences are so heavy. They're so heavy when you just talk about them um, in like an emotional way. And what I realized is- It's overwhelming when it's not funny, right? Yeah, well, and that's the cool thing. It's like comedy allows you to build a bridge between trauma yeah. um, and like the people who haven't experienced right. it without making them pity you, right? Like no one really, if you're laughing about it and you're having that experience, people are with you in a way that they just aren't if you're emotional. Yeah. You know? um, but I, I don't think... Um, I'm working on being able to make anything funny, right? I can make the dark funny because I've lived there. I don't necessarily like do the observational comedy that like Jerry Seinfeld does and stuff. Or like even, you know, you do, you choose like small details and you really expand them in this way that I I admire, you know? I guess, how long have you been doing comedy? And do you feel like you can make anything funny, right? I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no, that's great. I, it's yeah, no, it answered the question because you're going for it. You're trying to touch on any subject. I will. So I've been doing comedy two and a half years and I, um, I want to be able to talk about anything and make people laugh. But as of right now, I don't. So you touched on kind of your background. I have a lot of Scotch Irish, um, I guess what you call heritage. And the thing I've found with them, not just the American side of it, but I work with, I've worked with a people in the UK for probably like over a decade um, on both the Irish side and the English and Scottish side. And I can tell you that this concept of the, the gallows humor, where you laugh at the macabre, it's very much for whatever reason, it's in our DNA. And, you know, a lot of the stuff I'll joke around with, with my brother or my mom or my aunt or whatever that stuff right now, I don't think I could take on stage because I, I don't know that I have the confidence. And plus there's a part of me, like I, I, just real talk, right? Just real talk. I'm a middle-aged straight white guy. If I go out really hardcore with a lot of this stuff, I'm not in the public eye by any means, but I'm very aware of the fact that I'm the bad guy right now. <laughs> and so I have to kind of tiptoe around some of the things that I would want to say that to me, I think I could find humor in anything, but I don't want people to come off like that guy's a whatever, a hate monger or this, that. So I think I want to get to the place where I can make any story or any thought funny. But right now I, there's a lot of stuff I sit on Haley, (laughs) a lot of stuff where I go, I want to say this, but not right now. I don't know. I think that I think you can touch on anything. I think it's really how the audience perceives you, right? Yeah. And it's what things you kind of bring in, right? I think uh, in a weird way, like your your relationship with the audience is kind of like your relationship with a significant other. Like you bring way more baggage to the situation than like maybe you realize at first until like you kind of start reflecting on what you're bringing up. I guess like 
just like some hot button subjects like what what kind of material are we talking about are we talking like race death like all of it privilege? race death sexuality whatever yeah i think then it just becomes as simple as punching up or punching down yeah you and know? I don't mind. I punch my my philosophy is that you should punch wherever you need to punch to get a laugh. So actually, it's interesting. <laughs> we are different. <laughs> really? Okay. So here's what I here's what I think. I think that a true laugh is um, it's reflexive. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if you say something that is clever enough or funny enough or delivered, whatever. Um, then I think people, they can't control themselves and they laugh. So that's kind of like the, oh, you go to your gut and you're like, oh, people laugh. So what I was just talking with this on the last podcast too. So this is interesting. Like, I guess the thought just kind of streams through. I think if you have a funny joke that just gets people, then technically you've wrote, written a good joke, right? And so whether that was at the, you know, whoever, Whatever direction you were punching, it's a good joke. Now, here's where I, I will say, if there's something where, let's say, I split the room 50-50, 50 are really uncomfortable, don't like what I said. The other 50 is like, that was hilarious. Um, and people come to me and be like, that, that's, if enough people said that joke was bad for this reason, that reason, I don't mind apologizing. I don't mind dropping a joke, whatever. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, if you had 50% of the audience laughing and it was an uncontrollable, like a reflex laugh, then it was a good joke. <laughs> and that's what we need to do. We need to write good jokes, right? Yeah. I, I guess it becomes a question of being a joke writer or a personality, right? Um, and I think there's places for both. I mean, like Jimmy Carr, for example, says like crazy uncomfortable yeah. things. I like that guy a lot. <laughs> oh, I do too. He's hilarious. And he does say things that you're like, Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But like, you can't control it because he's such a good joke writer, but he also doesn't really reveal a lot of his personal life. Like he's not there. At least my impression. Right. Um, he's an act. Yeah. He's an act. It's, it's, mm -hmm. you know, just pure jokes, you know, um, through and through. Whereas like, I think a lot of standups are a lot of personality. So the jokes that you say are attached very quickly to your personality and to who you are. Um, and I, I almost feel like that's the dangerous, you know, field. Like, are you revealing a lot of personal stuff? Because then when you say a joke and then people have this idea of who you are, they kind of pin it on you. Versus if you're like the type of person that kind of just like, just does jokes. Like, I don't know. Does that make sense? I feel like- Yeah, no, it actually, you're leading into the next question I had for you which is uh, comedy can be approached again, like we talked about so many different ways. A lot of people really focus on the genuine, this is my personality and this is my point of view and the filter on, and this is the filter that makes my point of view funny. And I, and I really looked to the nineties where there was the scene that it was referred to as an alt comedy scene. Like the Mark Marins came out of it, the Margaret Cho's, the uh, Sarah Silverman's. And those people, when they perform, I really feel I'm getting who they are. Now, I kind of grew up in an era where there was an act. Like you mentioned Jimmy Carr. Like, obviously, we have Rodney Dangerfield. Um, we have Joan Rivers. We have um, 
you know, all these people and they went up and it was like, da, 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 da. And it was all an act. And you got some of it, you know, you got some of their personality through that, but for the most part, I'm sure they were vastly different in a normal real world conversation than they were on stage. But in the nineties, I think the two areas kind of merged. I think I know the answer to this, but when you think about doing your comedy, whether you're writing or performing, are you looking to go for that genuine angle or are you looking to have an act where you're a little bit different? Your stage persona is a little bit different than who you are in real life. I think <laughs> it sounds like maybe, you know, the answer more than I do. I, well, That's interesting. Right. Um, yeah. when I sit down to write comedy, cause I, I write, right. Yeah. Um, I think about what is provoking an emotional response in me now, mm-hmm. because I understand that people are emotional. We can, we tend to be able to subvert expectations through emotional reactions. Right. Mm-hmm. I also read Judith Carter's like comedy Bible. Cause I'm basic okay. as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned it from that as well. Okay. Um, but that is how I write. Okay. So right now I'm just trying to become a good joke writer and I'm trying to be true. Right. So I, I, I obviously exaggerate, you know, my life. I think we all do. Right. Like my, my Herbally, it's, in Home right. Depot. he hit me in my living room and I thought this would be funny if it was a Home Depot. Um, also just for the audience, it was consentful. I asked him to hit me. He isn't abusing me. I'm safe. Um, he's not safe though. Uh, but it's, I don't know. I think I want to become a good joke writer, but I think more than anything, I want to become a good joke writer that can write through any lens. And as far as stand-up goes, I want to write through my lens. But as yeah. far as writing goes, <laughs> I want to be able to do anything. That's like the fun. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to get into your podcast about two girls, one book. Uh, so as a writer, you need to, um, one, one of my favorite writing books, obviously, is uh, the Stephen King memoir where he talks about it and these coming up with just characters are it that's the for me one of the funnest things in writing but see as a stand-up comic and this is where why I asked the question because it's it's all kind of together like I kind of look at comedy as I have a lot of different characters hopefully coming out of me when I tell jokes and sometimes that person will be a villain sometimes that person will be a hero sometimes that person will be a schlump Sometimes. So like, I'm kind of thinking of it, like I, I'm, I don't know how genuine I'm being. I think if I write something that I want to do on stage, it's me, but it's not me at the same token. So I definitely bring masks on stage. I know that, but to some extent that's life a little bit, right? I'm a different person when I podcast than when I'm at work and I'm a different person when I get on stage than when I'm with my family. So I, yeah, I'm trying to reconcile all this. I guess within myself, and I'm curious about other people how they look at it. What um, zodiac sign are you? <laughs> I'm a I'm a Libra. Oh, okay. So you deal with balance a lot, or oh, yeah, air quotes because I don't know if you believe in it. I also don't know if it's true. Um, but you deal with like extremes and balance. I, I yeah yeah I don't buy too much into that stuff. But here's what I can tell you, which is really weird. Um, I've had so many Libra friends. To the point where, is this normal? I don't know. What are you? I'm a Virgo. Libra cusp, actually. Oh, uh, what does that mean? I'm on the cusp between Virgo. Oh, you're, okay. All right, um, great. Virgo. Uh, like, I'm in the Virgo area. I have Libra qualities. 
go for it. <laughs> how many people in your life, now we're really going off the rails with the podcast, but we'll bring it back. How many people in your life have you met who shared the same birthday as you? I've met three or four people with the same birthday. What about you? Okay. I thought I was special or something. Cause yeah, I've probably, uh, I think four people, there've been four people and two of them were really like good friends for a long time. Wow. So I, I just didn't know if that was normal. I go, why is this? And then my wife also is a Libra. And it seems like I just, in my circle, I, I tr- there's just always people were within a week or two of each other's birthdays. Yeah. And I've always thought that was kind of weird, but I don't really, other than the scales, that's the only thing I really know about it. And I would say, here's what I, tr- I would say I'm very, uh, I try to be very objective when viewing, especially when it comes to debates. I never try to jump on a side right away. And I always try and look at what's going on. What are the facts? What are the, what's the conjecture? And then on top of that, I'm very pragmatic in life whenever I approach anything. So I I guess those are Libra qualities, but then there's this other aspect when you talk about when you're born, because the Chinese have a different belief system where it's the year you're born in. Right. So in that I'm a rabbit. I don't even know if you know what you are in a, a Chinese. So a rat. <laughs> a rat? Okay. So yeah, there's like, there's a whole different set of characteristics that that Zodiac gives you then. Yeah, but they're all connected. That's why people look at their astrology. Also, I just want to put the disclaimer. I don't, I don't care. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like a fun thing to do, just like it's a, a fun thing to fill out a crossword puzzle. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's not going to affect my life really, except like teaching me a few like fun facts or whatever. But whenever you look at your Zodiac, um, as far as like your moon, your sun, your ascendant, your Mercury your Pluto, I don't know how many planets are. They, they all cover like different parts of your life. So like, Uh, I think all of those things can be together. And that's a lot of when you meet like really, uh, hardcore astrologers, you know, the people are this is real, which it might be. I don't care. Right. I, I honestly, it doesn't matter. Right. I'm living my life. I'm waking up every day. Yeah. Um, but they say like, when you're like, I'm just not really like my sun sign. Like I kind of like, that's just not true. You could say that for anyone. This and that yeah. they're like, well, what about this sign and this sign and this sign? And then people are like, oh, right. exactly me. And I've had moments of that. Um, but I think it's more problematic than anything. I think it's interesting to, um, I don't know, to kind of have gotcha moments. Like I love that talking to someone. If I like feel like I guess their sign, I love being like, gotcha, typical Taurus. <laughs> you know? But like outside of that, it's like, what benefit is it, you know, giving me? Aside from like I like being a Virgo, I love to make lists. Like, cool, okay. am I gonna stop making lists? Like, get out of my business when it comes to like my yeah, personal yeah. mind. Do you know what I mean? It's it's whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I look at it the same way. It's fun. Sometimes there's things that you can relate to. Other times there aren't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't have a good transition into my next question from that one, <laughs> but I wanted to talk with you about two girls in one book also. Sure. Sure. So sure. obviously uh, you, you have the good talk with good people, which that podcast is, is it all stand up comics you have on there or do you just have, Okay. You have a lot of different people. And then two girls in one book. How tell talk to me about the format of that. What inspired that? Just real quick, me and my buddy Vadim, we had a podcast for probably a year and a half. We called it Two Beers in a Book. 
<laughs> but I th- I'm thinking of taking it down because I'm I'm hosting it on a Squarespace site and we haven't done anything for like a year and because of lockdown and whatnot. And, yeah. Um. But anyway, talk to me about Two Girls One Book. What's the format like? How long have you been doing it? Yeah, I mean, the name is basic. We understand that. We understood that from the get. It's and it's a play off of that viral video, Two Girls. Oh yeah. Come on. We all know what you're talking about. Wink, wink. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and listen, it is a video format. It's not. It's not sketch in that way. It's fine. Yeah. It's it's pretty safe for work. Um, well, we curse a lot, so actually, it's not. Okay. Um, but I do the podcast with my childhood best friend, Kelly Wilson, okay. who is an absolute treat. And we just read these like classical literature books and essentially have the conversations we wish we could have had in English class, you know, like, and we just roast the characters because so many of these like dumbass characters are just out there with their head in their, you know, their butthole or something. Yeah. And, all the women are written in one note and it's just, it's fun. You know what I mean? We read the Scarlet Letter and we're like, yeah, listen, a priest can be hot. Like we, you know, we get the fantasy, like it's fine, but you can't talk about that with your English teacher. Like, wouldn't you fuck a priest, Mrs. Johnson? Like you can't say that, but we can. So that's really the whole premise is we're just like, let's, let's just like talk about the things that actually come to mind because we are two people that always have our head in the gutter. We're always making jokes. Yeah. We're, it's just, it's who we are. And we are bringing on um, different comedians as well who have like read something to just like add some variety and like get some different perspective. Um, and yeah, we just- Let's kinda- expand on what you just said there. So I'm raising daughters. You said all of female characters are written in one note. And I'll be very honest with you. And again- just we'll go back to it. I think there's a lot of, you know, straight white guys who never thought in these terms, but when you are absorbing popular culture and also classical culture, like a lot of classical literature, a lot of it, man created, right? All men created, not all, but there's a lot of that. So at what point in your life, did you realize when you're going through some of these books that you liked that you go, you know what, this, this point of view seems not very accurate or it doesn't ring true with my experience. Did you have an epiphany or is that something that um, kind of just gradually happened? Do you think it's changing in art? Do you think that because now we have more diversity coming forward in, in the creative space that, um, stories are becoming more intricate, more complicated, more, uh, I guess, greater depth. Hmm. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that in a few ways. The, okay. the reality of the situation is I, I learned that through learning what the male lens was. So I learned that from other people that caught on first. It's not like I was reading a book at like, you know, 12 years old. and was like, Oh, huh, I don't relate. And this is wrong. I just, I read it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I consumed it. I, I took it for granted. I was like, whatever. Um, okay. What I did notice uh, growing up and, you know, specifically uh, getting a major in Spanish, because a lot of what we did was Spanish literature, right? Um, uh, and I read a few more female uh, authors than I typically would in my regular classes, is that I loved how females wrote. 
And I didn't really realize why until I started to think about it. And it's because it's more emotional um, and it's a little bit more fluid. And that is how I see the world. And that's when I started to recognize that, like, I really don't like how male authors write. You know what I mean? And I realized how they write female characters. And I'm like, well, okay, cool. She's like a pawn essentially. Um, and to some extent, like I, I've never met a female in the 1600s. Maybe it was accurate. Like, I don't know. Um, but I can also say that as I'm like writing pilots and like, you know, doing that type of thing, I can't write male characters well either. Like, I don't get that. So I'm, I'm kind of like anything that's outside your perspective is always going to be hard. Yeah. And that's kind of why I think it's important that we see different types of creators with different backgrounds, whether that's race or sexuality or gender, because there's always someone who's like, oh, this feels a little bit truer to my experience. But I don't think one person can like be true to every experience perfectly. Obviously, we can start to like acclimate and understand and that helps. Yeah. But, I don't know. I still write dudes like they're just growing out all the time and swinging dicks. Like that's how I write them. Cause that's how I see them. I'm sure there are dudes with like more depth, but I don't know. And I'm sure that's how guys see girls sometimes where they're just like, yeah, they just go. <laughs> and like, I hear that happen though. That's the weird thing. Cause some of that is true. Like I understand I have really deep connections with some of my female experiences, but just yesterday I went down to the cafe Right. And I got a coffee and I was like, Oh my God, I love your shirt. And she's like, I found it on Instagram. I was like, Oh my God, I love that. And it's like, why? We are stereotypes. Sometimes we're all fucking stereotypes sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, you know, again, this is getting back to, we'll throw back to the Libra. I try to look at things <laughs> very balanced and I don't see if you're being cruel and manipulative in your behaviors. And we all know men have ways of being cruel and manipulative. And we all know women have ways of being cruel and manipulative. But if you're doing like a guy thing, like all you're doing is talking about motorcycles, right? Like, oh, I'm fixing up, I'm doing this, that, and the other. And you got a room full of different types of people. That, that guy's not going to realize he's boring everyone, right? I, there was a dude, this just popped into my head. I don't know why it popped into my head. There was this guy I worked with for probably like four years. All he ever talked about was golf. It didn't matter if, if it was us, if it was women, if it was upper management, the customers. He always talked about golf. And I was like, it's almost like it was probably he was on the spectrum, probably, because I'm in tech and it's it happens a lot. Yeah. Um, but he didn't have the awareness. But where I'm going with this is you got to be you. And if you want to know where that shirt is and it kind of, it makes you happy, it's it's great. And I do think that, when we say the word stereotype now in 2021, we all just put a negative connotation on stereotype, but there's stereotypes that are, they ring true pretty consistently and it's not a bad thing, but. No, stereotypes are nice. I mean, the, the reality, I learned this in my intercultural communications class, funny enough. It, stereotypes aren't bad. It's how big of the boxes we're making. So when we make big okay. old boxes and we put everyone of one group in it, yeah, that's an issue. But let's just make smaller boxes. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, listen, you're in tech, therefore you're a nerd. Great stereotype, probably true. Like it's, it, but smaller box. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, and, and that is true. And I'm just, a, I am a huge nerd. I'm a big geek. Lots of sci-fi. That's the majority of the books me and my buddy went over is sci-fi. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. That's very, like, um, progressive. I, like, I, I, I don't like sci-fi. 
Um, oh, we can't be friends, Haley. Oh, we'll never talk after this. Podcast. No, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I, is your genre? What's your go-to genre? Oh my god, nothing better. I I mean, fantasy. I love fantasy. Like I like fantasy too. Doing, right? Yeah. What's your favorite fantasy book? Well, I'm a I'm a Tolkien guy. Ah, uh, see, I can't. Oh dear, Haley, this. This podcast is turning into a real train train wreck, ladies and gentlemen. I I do apologize. Okay, Okay, if not Tolkien, then who? Who's your fantasy? Well, to be fair, I never read Tolkien. I'm sure it's fine, right? I'm sure it may even be great. Um, So I can't actually make a judgment. I I am one of those people. I'm just like "Mm," sometimes when I have an experience, and it's fine. It's a personality defect. I I accept that. I I really love Narnia. I loved. I think I just loved Narnia and like I read a lot of vampire books because I'm basic as fuck like Edward Cullen was my crush for a while you know like super super whatever um I don't know I just love anything that's going to take me into a different world so like and I haven't tried on sci-fi maybe it could do that I did like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy oh yeah that's a classic is that would that be considered sci-fi because I was so fun yeah oh yeah 100 we'd love that and I would even I mean I don't know there's a guy kind of making a resurgence. I don't know if you've ever read HP Lovecraft. He's uh, I categorize him as horror and sci-fi because there's just a lot of mystery and not necessarily technology, but extra worlds involved. Um, but yeah, so, okay. So your genre, your, what is your favorite author? Do you have a favorite author? Oh, Isabel Allende. Okay. Hands I'm down. not familiar with any of her stuff. Yeah, I mean- she is the epitome of what I talk about when I talk about like a female perspective and like the emotional writing. And I'm going to write that um, down. Yeah. She, okay. It's really fun. Um, How do I spell her last name? Allende, A-double-L-E-N-D-E, Allende. Okay. Yeah. Um, she does a book called, oh, I'll have to send it to you. Um, okay. I'll have to like just write it down because I forget. Oh, we can House, of, House of Spirits. Okay. Casa de los Espíritus. Um, but she's really fun and she does magical realism. Nice. If you know what that is. Um, Not really. Can you explain it? <laughs> I said, I said, nice, but I have no idea what you meant. <laughs> no, and not, a lot of people don't. It's a very, um, it, it, it's a very like Latin American uh, way of writing. Okay. Um, essentially metaphors become real. Like that's the like fastest way I can explain it. Okay. Sometimes there's a metaphor and it's, you know, on the floor. Like if someone says something like, oh, it, um, you know, the heartbreak hurt us so much that it, you know, it, it felt like a dagger running through my heart, then blood would appear in their dress. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's fun. Oh, it's so fun. Um, but and yeah, I, I think that's where, um, you know, having that other perspective because the emotion almost becomes a real thing that mm-hmm. probably a female author is going to nail that better than a guy. Like a guy might get more in the, I don't know, technical or biological aspects of it. Whereas that's just the metaphor and the feeling and the emotion all running together. Yeah. Well, men create like a dude created um, Gabrielle Marquez, a hundred years of solitude is the book. Um, okay. One of the classic examples of uh, magical uh, realism, okay. but for me, I'm like, oh, the the way we know it's a dude is there's so much more incest. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just there's things like that that yeah. I'm like, okay. you know, there were a few women who like had some rights 
in Isabel Allende's, you know, books that were like, ah, fuck the patriarchy and like left. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know what? This is, oh, shoot. We've gone almost an hour. chatter. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Don't, don't apologize. I know. You know what? There was a number of things that we, um, that I wanted to go back to, but we're at an hour. And I know <laughs> there's a mic coming up. You know what? I didn't organize my, I didn't organize my notes. I didn't organize Great. my notes very well. I wanted to drop in a couple jokes here that we could do, but I'm looking through them. Do you want to do a fire round? I'll be quick. I won't go on any tangents. I'm sorry. No, no. You know what? It's so it's cool. I'm going to scrap this one. I had a great time with this. So what we got to do, Hey, listeners, I have about three listeners out there, Haley. So watch out. Your numbers are about to go boom. So everyone, please check out good talk with good people where uh, we have all kinds of interesting people going over hot takes, current events, and then two girls, one book, which is uh, a review. Is it all classical literature? It's all classical literature. Okay, cool. So all classical literature, but the, uh, the hot take on it between Haley and her best friend. Haley, this has been a, a, a real blast. I appreciate you doing this. Um, I know we're going to bump into each other. We're, I'm probably, so my joke, I want to, I want to wrap up with this. The joke I want to do about people dropping out of a zoom call. And I'm glad we had that conversation is it doesn't bother me when people drop out and you don't know they dropped out. And it doesn't bother me when people say, um, you know, bye everyone. It's been fun, but I have to say something about the people who go, I got another mic to go to. Cause we all have another mic to go to. <laughs> yeah. And they never do it like on the hour when there's an actual yeah. mic. Like we are, we're all on the same Excel sheet. We're you all on the same sheet. It's hey, I'm staring at displaced comedians.com also. <laughs> I know there's another mic. So here's the, here's what I want to put together. The person saying, um, I got another mic to run to is like the deadbeat dad saying, I really want to spend time, but I have tickets to guns and roses. <laughs> so I'm going to have to miss this weekend. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's a real good uh, metaphor there, but it's hitting us today. There's definitely something there. Yeah, <laughs> there's something there. All I right, love the, the background in this. Am I making sense? Because it's like after you say, "Does this make sense? Is this true?" <laughs> yep, exactly. All right. Thank you very much, Haley. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah.